This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I'm the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd and uh, host of this podcast. Chris couldn't make it with us today, so you just get to listen to me. And my very, very special guest, Ellie Abraham. How are you, Ellie? Hey, I am great. You sounded like you were about to say something, so I don't want to continue. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I was, was going to say you just got back uh, in town, right? You're, you're finally back home from, I think, a long series of travel we were talking about earlier. Yeah, March 1st, I left, and it was like a couple of weeks into April when I came back. Do you enjoy that? Like, Do you like to travel, or is that like too much for you? Mm, I absolutely love it. I find that uh, amongst my colleagues... I am um, probably one of the people who has a little more energy and interest in it than uh, many of my colleagues who say it's just like absolutely draining. But I do find that even I have a limit, obviously. And so after kind of doing back-to-back game weeks, uh, game uh, game events uh, over a few weeks, it was really, really intense. And by the time I came home, I was definitely uh, burned mm. out from the travel in a way I hadn't experienced before because I'd never quite traveled like this before. Yeah. Yeah. I find that it's like, I love to travel. Like I'm pretty adventurous. Um, and in fact, I think I kind of wear my wife out when we go on vacations because she says I could just go, go, go. And I don't really need a lot of rest. Um, but uh, but I definitely, there's there's a limit for me when I start thinking, like especially if I'm traveling by myself, I start thinking like, oh, this start, it's starting to feel selfish because I start thinking about my family and stuff. Oh, um, fair enough. So I, I know those. Uh, I do not have those thoughts. <laughs> I do. I do not have uh, my own family. And um, so for me, I actually prefer usually to travel alone. Yeah, and I've done a lot of traveling to many places very far from where I'm from, and I usually go by myself, which is cool. But this trip, I went uh, from Helsinki, uh, here where I live, all the way to London, from London to Chicago, from Chicago. I trained to San Francisco because of the train jam event. So I was at a game jam on a train for uh, three nights. And uh, after I was in San Francisco for like a week and a half, then I flew to Boston. From Boston, I flew back to London for one night and then from there to Berlin. And I was supposed to be in Copenhagen or like getting back from Copenhagen right now, but I ended up canceling my workshop in Copenhagen because I thought the travel was just too much. It was absolute murder and I clearly needed time for me. It sounds like even you have limits, uh, even though you're like super into travel, super adventurous. Yeah, that was the, what I just told you about. This was like the first time I went to so many places back to back like that. But yeah. normally I leave Finland anywhere from one to four times a month. And yeah. um, I have found after doing that for like a couple of years straight, I realized I, it's not sustainable. It's, a, it's absolute murder uh, in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and now oftentimes in my contracts, I'll even say, just so you know, I take these months off. Like I give myself a proper, because I'm a freelancer and in, um, in the summer I take a month off and uh, in the winter I take a month off and yeah, that's 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 recharge time. Yeah. You were saying, we were talking about this earlier when, before we started recording, but you were saying, you know, you feel like you have to discipline yourself to be productive. I mean, not to be productive, but to rest, which you feel like is actually a form of productivity. I'd be curious to hear you share more about that. For sure. So that's um, what I was, uh, what I was trying to get across was that for people who really struggle to allow themselves to rest and who worry that they're not being productive and they need to get back on it, reframing your rest as being productive in a different way can potentially mm-hmm. help that. Yeah. So for me, I am someone who does a lot. I get told quite frequently that I sound like I'm living multiple lives on top of each other. And I have yeah. multiple careers, both in and out of game development. And right. a lot of things happening in my personal. I just read like on your on on your website that you've done over 160 game jams. I've done past, over, and it just says in the past couple of years. <laughs> okay, it wasn't over 160 game jams. It was, and at this point, it's like a, I think 170, maybe 180 
Um, actually, after Train Jam, maybe even higher. It's like maybe like 190 games. Yeah. So between yeah. all the jams that I've been to in the past couple of years, yeah, since the, I started counting at the beginning of 2017. Yeah, and for our listeners, like a game jam is where you get together. I mean, I think most people know this, but you get together with a bunch of people and and different periods of time, but usually it's a day or two or or three, and you make a game really, really fast. It's usually a weekend for obvious reasons. A weekend, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It's usually a jam site, a physical location that people go to. But of course, tons of jams happen digitally as well, where people just work right. at home. Yeah, yeah. So you weren't, anyway, I was just sharing all that to say, I kind of interrupted you, but. No, it's fine. You're not, you're totally not lying when you say you're a busy <laughs> yeah. person. So I do a lot of things and I have a really hard time just doing nothing. Yeah. And I had, it was really starting to affect my life in some pretty intense ways. I was starting to have dark thoughts. I feel like it really dragged down one of the most important romantic relationships I've ever had in my life. Mm. And uh, it's pretty unfortunate that my essentially my drive and my ambition and my extra energy ended up cursing me in the end. So mm-hmm. many people yeah. were just constantly saying, I don't know how you do it all the time. And the answer is essentially, it's just that I have ADHD and I'm on the go all the time. My brain is just kind yeah. of wired like that. And um, yeah, I think I have a similar, like, I don't know, like personality or, or mindset, I guess. I'm just constantly doing stuff. And I, feel you. I get that question occasionally too. Like, how do you juggle everything that you're juggling? And uh, sometimes I want to tell people like, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't like, you know, <laughs> like maybe I shouldn't be juggling as much as I do. I actually gave uh-huh. a talk in which that's essentially what I said um, at an unconference that happened. Uh, it was a GDC adjacent event. So it happened on the uh, in the GDC area. There is an unconference called Carousel Con, which for people who go to GDC, they might be familiar with Lost Levels, which is an unconference. Yeah. But uh, Carousel Con is essentially lo- a Lost Levels, but for audio devs. Oh, cool. And um, they cure into lost levels, but not to. There you go. Carousel Con. It's called Carousel Con because it happens right next to the merry-go-round, you know, to the carousel that's that's uh, yeah. right near Moscone. And so um, every year it happens th- three out of the five days. And on those three days, they curate a couple speakers to open uh, the floor, essentially, and then anyone can jump up. And so this year they asked me to speak. And what I said was, like look at all i've accomplished in the past couple of years and let me tell you it wasn't worth it what it actually cost me wow. has yeah. it has i have so much to show for it and i am proud mm. of it but yeah. it devastated me in a lot of personal mm. ways and it affected me in ways that were just clearly i, I was not living a sustainable life yeah. and i can't recommend that to anybody so the talk was like, here are some of my lessons and some of the things I wish to pass on to you so that you don't do what I did. And to yeah. kind of finish what I was saying earlier, when I was saying that rest is productive, because I was mentioning that a friend just the other day was telling me that they were struggling not to like mentally punish themselves for just hanging around and doing nothing when yeah. they feel like they needed rest. And I was saying that what I realized is that that time is actually extremely productive in a couple of ways, one of which I didn't actually get the chance to say um, earlier. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll repeat the other ones. One is that in that time, you're never actually doing nothing. You, what will end up happening right. is you will like be thinking about what's going on in your life and you're doing so much processing and reflecting that is super important to just being a human. Mm-hmm. You might even end up being like, you know what, I'm going to finally kill clean my desk like I always said I would, you know, like that kind of thing. But even if you're not, even if you're just thinking, even if you're just thinking about the characters from your favorite TV show, that means you needed that time to just do a little bit of that in your life. Yeah. And um, what I found was anyone can relate to the idea that like, oh, when you haven't rested well, you don't, like if you haven't slept well, you don't, you're not at your best. And last summer, I had a pretty big breakdown. I did. Uh, I started canceling events. I started canceling trips. I started contacting clients saying, you're not going to hear from me from a, for a few weeks. I realized that I had really, really, like once I, I had like grinded myself down to a stump and then tried to continue going. And um, one of the things I found after spending a whole month of doing nothing but taking sun on my balcony, watching Steven Universe, going on Tinder dates and whatever other random stuff, like ordering in from my favorite restaurant like almost every day. 
after doing that for like weeks straight, just nothing but like fun stuff and nights uh, and nice stuff, just trying to be as kind to myself as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt the most ready and prepared to take on my personal life and the stress of my work life like I had ever felt before. Mm-hmm. And it made me reflect on so many things that other people had told me about like, you know, watching out for myself and being kind to myself. And I realized they were all right. <laughs> I, would, yeah. I was sad to realize how much I had actually really hurt myself um, by just working so hard. That's, I feel like a really, um, I don't know what the word is, courageous, maybe the best word I can come up with thing to say and to admit, like what, like you did at the carousel uh, con to say like, hey, um, I did a lot and a lot of things I'm even really proud of, but it wasn't worth it. Yeah. Like, I think that's something that very few people would admit um, because we live in such a performance um based culture yeah you know i think like that's constantly constantly telling people like your worth is wrapped up in what you do and how successful you are it is so true and i'll admit it was hard to say yeah um i was like i set a world record uh that might be going into the guinness book of world records i gave my first tedx talk what's the world record i'm curious now (laughs) um, it was um most games soundtrack at a single game jam uh, at Global oh, Game wow. Jam, I flew out to London. Uh, I went to a, a jam site. It was at a university. There were maybe 200 plus jammers. And they set up a desk w- just for me, knowing that I was doing this big streaming thing. And uh, I live streamed myself. I got sponsored and everything uh, by Native Instruments, which is one of the like audio software giants of the of the industry. They... Um, they gave me over a thousand euros worth of like free software to do this. And um, it was incredible. In 48 hours, cool. I uh, worked on 30 games. I didn't even realize it was humanly possible. It was wild. But my point was that I was, I was like, I, I listed a few of these things that sounded, you know, accomplished. Yeah. And, you know, I remember uh, after, maybe after the world record thing, I heard someone in the audience whistle, you know, like, and uh, I said all that. And I was like, let me tell you something it wasn't worth what it cost me. Like what it cost me personally, Hmm. what are the things that I feel like I ruined in my life in order to focus on my work? I can't stop thinking about them. I think about the things I sacrificed and uh, Hmm. it hurts. It's it's deeply upsetting. This is interesting because um, like we're kind of, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself here a little bit, but because I want to make sure at the, at the outset, we spend some time talking about like the work you've done in the games industry. And we've talked about that a little bit, but um, I definitely want to get to that. But um, listening to you talk about self-care and things, I'm reminded of, because I come from a Christian background. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. And I think there's a lot of like people in Christian culture, if you will, who have a hard time talking about or, or embracing the idea of self-care you know, like making sure you take care of yourself and and love yourself well, because of course there's this like Christian concept of, of um, agape love, if you know what I mean, like this sort of like selfless love, like we're to, to give and give and give of ourselves for the good of others and for our neighbors and blah, 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 which like is really beautiful and good, I think. But um, I think it's really important to, 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 learn to love yourself and to take care of yourself in, in a responsible way, not in this way that you like exalt. I think the fear amongst some Christians is that you'll exalt yourself and you'll, you know, you'll be really self-centered and, and such. But I think there's, you can go the opposite route where you don't love yourself well um, and you end up, you know, harming yourself or others in the pursuit of, of some kind of ideal that, um, that, you know, you were never meant to attain anyway. I think what you just described is potentially my, well, it's among my greatest gripes with Christianity, actually. Mm. There's a lot of, there's like a lot of selflessness, uh, selflessness. Uh, yeah. you, like you said, you're supposed to give and give and give. And I have felt that um, sometimes it's concretely, maybe it's uh, donate money to these causes when you can, for example. But um I realized that Christianity ends up 
being um well i sh- i shouldn't be painting with such broad stri- strokes but for many people because they're trying so hard to be good they're very self-punishing and they don't mm-hmm. give themselves yeah. enough leeway to just be human right and um yeah. I tell myself that about things that are really important to me. Like um, I've been vegan for nine years and um, I don't really talk about it anymore because I've been vegan for nine years and I just don't think about it. You know, I don't really uh, really care. But um, I have been um, in instances, especially when I travel and I'm less familiar with what my options are or perhaps the culture where I'm going to. I might be like, oh, this thing has like um, whey in it, which is like milk powder or whatever. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'll eat it because I'm thinking like, because if I don't, it's going to bring a lot of stress into my life where I'm trying to now figure this thing out. And I'm already in like an, uh, in a foreign situation. Right. And I would think to myself, I don't want to like punish myself for how hard I'm trying. And I felt that this is something um, a lot of Christian people do where when they feel like they have messed up or in some people's language, when they feel like they have sinned, they're really, really hard on themselves for it. Which yeah. I can relate to as someone who's just generally very hard on themselves. Yeah. So it was interesting yeah, yeah. you talk about like selflessness and giving and giving, giving in that way, because it's something I, I, I definitely see. Uh, on the note of like spirituality and just religion in general, because you were talking earlier about the, just uh, before we started recording about the diversity of, uh, for example, people on the show and what they talk about spirituality. I don't know if that's something you want to get into already. Uh, oh yeah, sure. We'll, we've already started, so we may as well. We'll do this. It's funny because usually we on the front end of this podcast, we talk about, hey, what you do in, what have you done in the games industry and kind of all that kind of stuff. But we can, we'll just flip it this time because we've already dived in the deep end. Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. I have a particularly, uh, I have an unusual and unconventional uh, situation yeah. where um, my father was um i always love to tell it with in this sentence because people love the detail uh my father was born in a bucket in baghdad wow and um so people often immediately assume that he's muslim because of that but mm-hmm. he actually fled violence against jewish people to uh israel which is uh okay. where he lives now so my father is jewish which is which is uh abraham your last name exactly is jewish so um, so he, uh, I used to not like my last name for that very reason, which I'll, I'll come. To. Oh, really? Yeah, Interesting. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll come to it. Uh, my mother, she was, uh, Finland is known for being a particularly like, uh, secular nation, I guess I would say. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Nordic countries have a kind of reputation for that in general. Um, right. but by default, when you're born in Finland, I think you're registered as Lutheran if you don't change it uh, <laughs> that's funny yeah it is it is quite funny because uh, uh, they've kind of you know developed a reputation as a secular nation but they just kind of forgot to change that part <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny that that's a thing that still exists legally um sure. yeah i don't want to get too much into the, the the history of finland uh but basically my mother she she was lutheran but um a few of her siblings went in other directions so she has a sister who is Mormon and very devout. And then another sister, her twin sister, actually, who practices uh, Brahma Kumaris, which is a very Zen practice. A lot of people haven't even heard it, but it's very, um, I would liken it to some of these other, uh, maybe like Hinduism, um, for example. Yeah. And so kind of Eastern. Yes. Much more of that influence. It's very focused on meditation, for example, and other kinds of meditative practices. And so my, my aunt, my mother's twin, she is one of the lead figures of, um, of Brahma Kumaris here in Finland. And then, uh, I have uh, a bunch of family who sprouted off of that other aunt who, who are Mormon. Then I have, Oh wow. Yeah. Non-practicing Lutheran family members. And then, uh, my Middle Eastern side, all of my Iraqi and my Israeli family, um, they're all Jewish. Okay. Interesting. So you've got the whole gamut here of different, uh, religious perspectives in your in your life yeah so a lot of that was in my upbringing i would say a lot of it was mostly um in growing up i would say it was more judaism than anything else because my father was kind of scared uh that we that like because he was afraid that he was away from from home and uh yeah we weren't surrounded because when you live in israel i mean judaism is just like all around you yeah um, 
And so he was kind of afraid that without that, we wouldn't be Jewish. And I think that's what backfired on him because he was very forceful with it. And uh, it's one of the number one things that made me bitter towards religion in general. My mother, for example, she wanted to kind of have this like cross between uh, Christmas and and, uh, Hanukkah. She kind of thought that it would be like cute if we had like a Hanukkah bush, for example. And my father was super not into that. Was he like, was he bothered? So your mom was not Jewish, right? Did she identify? How did that? I'm curious because like with as into it as he, he seems to have been like a pretty serious Jewish person, like practicing his faith and, and such. Um, yeah, I'm just curious how that, that meshed. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Um, he told my, in the Jewish religion, if the mother is not Jewish, the children are not Jewish, no matter how you cut it. Okay. And he said, uh, convert or bust. And mm. she told me that when she first met... Right, convert or I'm going to divorce you. It, oh, it was convert or like, this isn't going to happen. Like, we're not getting married. Right. Okay. Like, Ah, okay, gotcha, gotcha. And uh, so she was... I remember her telling me that when she first met him, she was like, yeah, he was so unpracticing. It didn't seem like a big deal. Um, you know, we're just doing it for our children, uh, for tradition's sake. And um, so she converted. And now that they're divorced, I talk to her. I ask her about it sometimes. I'm always like, yeah. do you care about this anymore? Do you practice it? Because occasionally she mm-hmm. will send me a message to be like, hey, it's Pesach, you know, it's Passover, you know, something like that. And right. I'm like, are you practicing that? Like, Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, don't, I don't actually know. I, I know she definitely doesn't like go to the synagogue or anything like that that we sure. used to do. Yeah. Um, but that's how that. Well, it's interesting how like those things stay with people, even if for sure. they're not into it anymore. It's like that was a part of your life and your, you know, your life with your family and things, exactly. and those things can what, stick with you. What you're saying is actually an ongoing joke in the Big Lebowski, where uh, in the movie where one of the characters divorces his wife. And the other characters are like, why do you still give a shit about Judaism? And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, like I'm still Jewish, even though we divorced, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But my mother was not a particularly, uh, like, pr- in her life in general, she wasn't, like, a big practicing religious person. Like, even before my father, you know, when, when she was still technically Lutheran, it wasn't, like, a thing she particularly cared about. And I know that uh, her mother, my grandmother, uh, very much did not care for Christianity. And that's probably why they never did anything about it. Or they were like, we just don't care about the system. Um, mm-hmm. One of her kids, for example, did, and she became Mormon, you know? That's an interesting jump too. Like I'm always curious how people land there, but anyway. Yeah, it, it is. I'm actually quite, I wonder about that too, but she and I are not close that I would ask her. Right. Yeah. Um, gotcha. If I could probably, however, ask, uh, like I'm really tight with um, some of my cousins on that side of the family and um, a couple of them are now ex-Mormons and yeah. I know how they kind of found Mormonism and then also how they let it go. But I would be interested to hear from them if they knew how their parents got into it. Because mom was very much not really, were not raised religiously. Yeah. I remember when I was, uh, this church that I went to during college, we did this series called like interview with a whatever, like interview with an atheist, interview with a Catholic priest, interview with a, um, oh gosh, church of Scientology. Uh, like all, we were trying to get all these people with different faiths to come and we'd interview them. Like, what do you believe? What do you believe about the world? That kind of thing. Um, and so we had one set up with these Mormon missionaries and right at the last minute, the bishop, I, I guess their bishop who was in charge of their mission found out about it and was like, no, you're not doing that. Uh, <clears throat> and so we ended up interviewing at the last minute. We just found someone who was an ex Mormon and interview, interviewed them, which was totally not as interesting. Um, I think because uh, it would have been. It happened that way. Yeah, yeah, I know. But uh, and anyway, I don't know why it happened that way, but just in that particular instance, it did. But I always think about that when I, because uh, we got to know those guys pretty well, and uh, you know, ate ate meals with them and things like that. Um, and then like the the relationship was just boom, it was over at that point. Like we never were able to hang out with them again. That's unfortunate. Which was one of the cool things about that project was just like getting to hang out with people. Of different worldviews, you know. I always really appreciated that. When I was in university, I remember being at a food court once, and a couple of random men uh, just came up to me and they said, "Hey, is it okay if we talk to you for a second? And when I said, "Sure," they were saying that they um, were a part of an organization on campus, 
um, like a Christian affiliated organization. And, uh, and they were like, we're trying to just get a better feel for the, like the religious beliefs and spiritual practices of people on campus. And do you mind if we like, just like talk to you about it a bit, or do you even have any questions for us? And it was actually quite exciting because, um, I was like, oh, there are actually some things I have heard about in Christianity just through like media. And I don't know what that is. And I asked the first question I asked them, this is quite funny. I was like, what is this talk about a Holy ghost? What is that? (laughs) (laughs) That was the first thing I asked them. I was like, what's the Holy ghost? Why do people say that? Like, and, uh, um, but I do. So do you feel like their answer, like was satisfactory? Did you, did you understand better after that? (laughs) I think kind of, I remember thinking like, all right, I guess from what they said, I still felt a little like, uh, like this, this was, uh, uh, a little over 10 years ago. Um, so I don't remember exactly, but I do remember, um, thinking it was cool that they came to have that conversation with me. I think they clearly were hoping that I would be interested in like attending some kind of Bible study, which I wasn't, but, uh, but I really, really like when people of very, very different backgrounds are willing to come together and talk about it because that's a lot of what my background is and um, i appreciate that approach like as a christian myself like just you know hey would it be okay if we talk to you about this like it's pretty direct and doesn't feel like you're making the person into a project or whatever like hey we just want to hear hear from you like there there's an invitation to dialogue there i think sometimes is rare from people in my own faith yeah you know what i mean (laughs) in general it's something it's just a a verbal it's consent, you know? And I think practicing consent in that way is very important. I think people forget how important that is. Uh, Consent is not something that only happens in, for example, sexual relationships. Uh, Consent is going to people and being like, is now an okay time for X, Y, and Z. You can't jump people with it. And sometimes, like, for example, I might need the support of people in my life when I'm going through a hard time. And I might message and I ask, hey, I want to vent about a thing that's happening is now a good time to do that because you can't start doing it. And um, Mm -hmm. if you want to talk about something that's divisive in any way, um, especially if you want to discuss religion with people of other faiths or or whatever other kinds of beliefs, you should ask them if they're ready to have that conversation. I found that people who experience um, a lot of privilege are the ones who least realize what what that's like and that's the reason yeah. why there's a lot of people like a lot of people say like ah oh, women feminists are so mad at men but i'm like well if you are a, a a cis white man you've experienced a lot of space to explore and sure. and to express yourself but really yeah. we should all be asking each other is this an okay time and place for this thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah and it's not like I think some people hear that and feel like kind of like you were talking about feel like threatened by that idea, but really all, all you're asking people to do is to respect other people's dignity and to, you know, respect them enough to, to be thoughtful about the way you approach them. I think, like, I think it's been important for us with this podcast. Um, People have been like, how do you get people talking about their faith and religion and things like that and their backgrounds? And it's like, well, we just ask. Like we just asked up front. Um, I mentioned earlier that I've been vegan for nine years and I try to tell people all the time. I'm like, listen, no one's going to listen to you. If you're pulling any of that crap where you're eating with someone who's eating meat and you're like, could you just imagine that that used to be a cow running in a field? I'm like, nobody wants to do that. (laughs) Yeah, right, um, right. And so every now and then, you know, pe- people get so turned off by anyone who feels borderline militant about the thing that they believe in. And I realize that a lot of people of certain uh, lifestyles or whatever it is, they feel very strongly. Uh, maybe it's a, a moral thing, whatever it is. When you come at somebody else with aggression, no, mm-hmm. nobody, you put people on the defense. And yeah. when you put people on the defense, they're not trying to come to your side. They're trying to defend themselves. Right. So don't attack people. Right. Yep. Yep. That's a good word. Don't attack people. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So uh, I do want to get back to your story. You were saying your dad was was obviously 
pretty strongly Jewish person. Mm -hmm. Um, did you ever, were you ever like, did you ever buy in and get on the, like on that bandwagon or, or were you always kind of on the outside looking in? I was always on the outside looking in, even when I tried. Um, mm -hmm. I distinctly remember times in my life. Cause there were times you just tried. Cause it's like, Hey, this is what my dad wants me to do. It, wasn't when that, you're a kid. it was my dad. Cause he said, when I was very little, he sent me to a private school as well. A Jewish private school. Like he was super scared. Uh, like I said, that I would just not be Jewish. And, uh, yeah. he did all the things that drove me away from it. And, mm -hmm. um, Interesting. I, yeah. He, uh, I told him I didn't want to be bar mitzvah, and he said he wasn't having it. So he forced me to go through a bar mitzvah, which m for me meant I had. I said I imagine that was a fun bar mitzvah. It actually, honestly, it was a fun, fun bar mitzvah, um, and that's part of how I convinced myself to go through with it. Because uh, um, like, hey, I'll just make this a party and yeah, <laughs> you can imagine so weddings. There's uh, you know, like a Christian wedding. There's the part where you're all at the church, but then there's also kind of like a wedding ceremony. You know, there's a whole party. Part yeah. Of it. So uh, a b'nai mitzvah, which is the word when uh, when you're not specifying the gender, uh, it's called a b'nai mitzvah, uh, and it's bat mitzvah if it's uh, a girl, and it's a bar mitzvah if it's a boy, and. Um, when I um, had my, um, oh yeah, I was just saying that B'nai Mitzvot, uh, they function similarly, where there's the part that takes place at the temple, and then there's the part that takes place uh, wherever, at the place you rent for the party. And um, for the synagogue part of it, I had to meet with a rabbi regularly for him to teach me how to read from the Torah. Mm -hmm. The Torah is in Hebrew, which I have no problem reading. Um, but um, there are notes that indicate, like around the letters, um, Hebrew is a language that uh, mostly doesn't have vowels. There are right. dots around the letters that indicate how to pronounce them. The Torah has like special uh, markings that, that indicate how to sing it. Yeah. And so I met with a rabbi that taught me how mm. to read the Torah so that I could read uh, the part of the Torah that we would be up to on the date of my bar mitzvah celebration. And so there was a there was a responsibility for me to perform after I, I had to, but I had to have lessons first. So I had to regularly <laughs> meet with a rabbi yeah. to learn the lessons of how to read to the Torah. Then I had to go uh, to the synagogue, and I had to read. I had to sing. Everyone was listening to me singing, and then I had to get in front of the altar and give a speech about my, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, about uh, coming of age, sure. which is. Uh, probably part of what I didn't really like about it, uh, uh, I'd say, well, a lot of, um, it, it's not just in religions, um, in, um, in Middle Eastern cultures in general, there's very strong, um, gender roles. Sure. I am, yeah. I am a non-binary person. I came out when I was 23, which was, um, seven years ago. And, okay. uh, I think it was when I finally came out, it was quite funny for me to reflect on my life and all these times I could have caught on to the fact that I had a problem with, uh, uh, I guess, conventional gender ideas. And uh, this was one of them, essentially. Um, we went to an, or yeah. an Orthodox synagogue where the men and the women were divided, for example. So the women had to watch my speech from like behind this like barricade, essentially. And, yeah. um, and then you have to shake a lot of hands and... Um, there's, it's a whole thing. When you get, uh, when you have a b'nai mitzvah, there's a, there's a part where everybody throws candy at you, so that's considered like a fun part. So I got to, I was trying mm. to look forward to those kinds of things to make it. <laughs> sure. And yeah. uh, we were living in the the United States. This is why I didn't used to sound like this when I speak English, but now I have. That's how you get kids to like overlook. Yeah, exactly. Just give them candy. Throw them candy at them. <laughs> what, I was, what I was gonna say was that I was living in the United States at the time because of my father's business. Uh, I lived in the states for a really long time, which is why I have an, uh, an American accent when I speak English. And um, he, they, f a lot of my Finnish and uh, Israeli or Israeli Iraqi family came from abroad to be there. And yeah, that was also, and all of I had friends who traveled from, you know, like summer camp friends who travel who traveled to be there and. All my friends yeah. from school. So it was like really cool that there was this big party being thrown for me and all these people I don't normally get to see. And a lot of people who I definitely don't get to see together were all in the same place. And uh, that was pretty cool. And it was those kinds of things that allowed me to kind of, that made me convince myself like, you know, uh, just go through with this. But I did start the whole thing by fighting them on it. And yeah. um, 
my father wasn't he was super not having it and he was he was very pushy with religion and uh even after i moved out he tried to get in touch with the rabbis on my campus and he gave one my phone number and that to me was like a very big breach of trust and uh kind of um indicates a lot of things about my relationship with my father and it's a lot of the reasons where i was like i just can't get behind this anymore you know, not, and I can't say because of my father, I'm just saying that he gave me a lot of what I needed to fuel my, um, mm. uh, my reconsideration of religion. Because yeah. when I was younger, um, like before, uh, by the time we clearly, like I said, bar mitzvah, so it means I was 13 and going, you know what? This is really, this is really interesting to me because I feel like there's, sorry, I just, you, what you just said there about some of the things that your dad did mm-hmm. sort of struck a chord with me because you know, from my background as a Christian, like I hear about people doing this with their kids mm-hmm. a good bit in the Christian faith. They're like, there's, I've talked to dozens of people who are like, my kids not, I know they're not going to church, you know, after they move out or something. And so they buy them a book or, <laughs> or like, even in, in the like stronger cases, they contact some like campus ministry person and be like, Hey, here, would you like reach out to my kid? Um, and it's just interesting that nobody stops to think about how that's going to land (laughs) with a lot of of people. Um, But, uh, you know, again, it goes back to that thing of like consent, like, you know, a lot of, of, right. And a lot of people in that situation might even have like an open and helpful conversation about religion or faith or whatever. If you just say, Hey, could we, could we, like if a parent would even just say, Hey, could we talk about this? And by the way, like, just be honest. Like, I'm not, I'm going to love you, period. Right. Whether, whether you say the things that like, like, Hey, I'll be honest. I want you to, I I want you to believe, but, but it's okay if you don't (laughs) like that would go a long way to like healing those relationships. But for some reason we can't get there. It would have been huge for me. Um, I told my story a bit anachronologically. Um, and I should have made it clear that like, because by the time I was 13, the, the, the age of uh, a mitzvah, or actually it's 12, it's yeah. 12 if it's a bat mitzvah. But anyway, so for me, 13, I was already, that's when I was already fighting the money. And um, yeah. when I was younger, I remember choosing to participate in some religious events because I was like trying to understand. I was trying to like get into it, you know? I was sure. trying yeah. to see why our lives are so heavily, you know, surrounding this thing. And um, ultimately, it just didn't gel with who I felt I was as a person. And when I first felt that, I thought, maybe the reason I don't care is because I'm young and I just have different kinds of priorities, which retrospectively is actually a pretty mature thing to think, to be like Hmm. 14 years old or whatever, and be like, maybe I'll return to religion when I'm older. And right now I should just let myself be young and uh, I'm a teenager and just hang out with my friends and care about the dumb things that we care about. And I just, I've had this feeling deep inside that like when I was older and I was like searching for different kinds of structure to my life, that religion would be one of the things I came back to and it super didn't mm-hmm. happen. The exact opposite happened. I felt like I was pushed further away. And part of it was because at this point, my father realized I was like, a not, I was not practicing and I and and by the time I was in university, I wasn't even identifying as Jewish anymore, and it was becoming a very um, explosive thing between us. Yeah, and yeah. I had a I had um, a phase of my life where I where um, if people ever referred to me in any context as a Jewish person, I would correct them. And mm. what I ultimately realized is, especially because I'm what's uh, called a, a Mizrahi Jew, which means that my roots are in particular parts of the world. In my case. Iraq, um, I realized that I am very ethnically Jewish, no matter how much I want to run from it. And sure. that uh, I was raised in a very Middle Eastern, and so many things about my upbringing were very Middle Eastern. And in those ways, I realized I'm very much Jewish, no matter how I want to look at it. Mm. And so now I think of myself as being ethnically Jewish, but not religiously Jewish. So do you classify yourself as like, agnostic or atheist or do you i mean do you even think in those terms or like where where because i know you said that sort of this process you thought you'd come back but you decided you wouldn't where or rather you felt like you even got pushed further away and that process was sort of like stepping away yeah good on you for uh bringing it up like that because if anything else it clearly shows i thought about it a lot and sure, so yeah. 
you were saying like if you even think in those terms and i used to there were there was a big part of my life where i identified as agnostic there was a big part of my life where i identified as atheist and now i think of um the word atheist is just kind of being a bit of like a descriptor but i also think mm-hmm. it doesn't really um encompass everything that i believe and i normally use words like that because in terms of what the people in a given conversation are trying to get out of me, I realize those words give them the answers they're looking for. Sure. Um, yeah. And so I might say to people, for example, I don't believe in God. Um, and what I mean is I, I don't believe in the way we've described God. Um, gotcha. I believe in all kinds of things that I know we can't actually prove at this time, but it's just like a feeling I have. What's an example? I have feelings about what might happen upon death, for example. Gotcha. And those feelings, I think, are like my deep. And I say deep because they feel like very beneath everything else. Um, Mm -hmm. They're like deep-seated feelings. Where I'm like, where I say, when we die, I think people just put our bodies in the ground and that's it. But that's, but I, I genuinely believe there's more to a human being than just the body and that's part of what but i don't know it's it's um it's kind of interesting uh i I think about these kinds of things in very abstract terms and senses sometimes they're difficult to pin down in language sometimes they're just difficult to pin down for me in english um yeah but well these are certainly like mysterious realities that uh like i think are essential to the human experience we all think about yeah, that. Yeah. What am I? Gonna, here's a good, what am I going to leave behind? And you know what's what's next? Here's the thing. I definitely believe in like spiritual stuff. For example, um, I think you know, like every now, I, I tried to kind of explain it to a friend recently because we were having a conversation that was something like this, and I said, um, "Have you ever heard of the movie What We Do in the Shadows?" I have heard of it. This movie is absolutely incredible. It's very, it's a, it's a mockumentary about four vampires that talk about what it's like to live together. Like what it's like to have housemates that are also vampires. Like, yeah. And it's very funny. Um, and it doesn't have to be this example. Uh, but I just think of any piece of media where there is like, a secret species. It could be like X-Men even, you know, uh, just like, like, you know, where there's some kind of species, supernatural, that the rest of the world doesn't know exists. And yeah. sometimes I, I think to myself like, oh, I don't believe, for example, that vampires exist, but there is nothing that could prove to me that vampires in fact do exist and have just very, very much succeeded in hiding this entire time because they knew humanity would turn on them, for example. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have some beliefs that I think are kind of, there's something a little bit like that where I'm like, you know what? I really do think there are like bizarre spiritual things happening out there. And I say bizarre only because they're unusual to us um, in, in, yeah. in, all these, in all these ways that don't agree with what we see in the realistic world. And, uh, and so I believe that there are things like I have friends, for example, who have told me uh, I, I have a friend who uh, lived in a place. Some people might have said the place was haunted. Uh, those are not really the words they used. Um, but she told me this wild story and too many crazy things. And I believe her. I believe her completely that she had this crazy experience where all these wild things happened that uh, couldn't be uh, explained by um, whatever other kinds of logic. Yeah, exactly. You know, Um, and it was something she wasn't going through it alone. The whole family was going through it and they were all kind of freaking out. And, um, And I believe that they had this experience. And I think that things like that do happen, but that we as human beings are just so limited in our ability to explain them that even if we could explain them one day, we can't explain them yet. And right now they just kind of like fall under this like realm of things that people are skeptical about. And I have, and I believe very much that like those things are either very difficult to prove or just cannot be proven at all. And I am not a sucker for those kinds of stories. And I'm very, and I'm a, a, such a skeptic. I'm definitely a skeptic about all of that kinds of uh, stuff. Even when, when it comes to shamanism, 
One of the people that I date is uh, quite shamanistic in her ways of thinking. And it's one of like the biggest ways that we like bash heads. But one of the things I like about being with her is simply that she makes me think and second guess and when I get really frustrated with her, because I'm like, how can you buy into all this? You know, when I get frustrated with her, I'm like, you know what? At least I'm thinking about it. And sometimes when I think about it for a while and I like reframe it or explain it in different words, I'm like, you know what? It's not that crazy. Or it's definitely not that, or it's definitely not that that much crazier than some other thing that I do believe in. Well, like, like I think about this stuff too, because Obviously, the Bible has a lot to say about these sorts of things. Like we were talking earlier about the Holy Ghost. Like there's all this stuff in the Bible that's very spiritual and hard to understand and like hard for us to understand, I think, particularly from our like, for me, like from a Western sort of empirical, um, rationalistic perspective, because I think that's the culture we live in where we're very like, even Christians in America are very rational in a lot of ways, like. Like, I just appreciate you sort of admitting that there's, that there's these mysteries out there that we can't explain. And like, um, and it's like, we should be open to talking about them instead of just immediately going like, oh, you can't prove that. So you're wrong. Um, you know, we just taking the time to sort of like process those things and, um, hear out your friend, I think is important. What I, um, said to her was that I don't think that science and religion are opposites i actually just think they're like different sides of the same coin essentially and Hmm. um some people have a really i think our ability to think about things that don't make sense to us in a lot of ways maybe scientifically or in other 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 kinds of logical ways we have to realize that humans are so far from knowing even most of what there is to know even half of what there is to know like we're so far away from knowing so many things that to blow it all all of it to blow all of it off completely just that in itself feels irrational i think too often we don't stop to think about it but just to stop it if we really stopped and think thought about it we would realize how astronomically arrogant it would be to say like oh this like this is all complete hogwash. Like, you know, like, like just because we're 20th century, 21st century, uh, you know, people with better uh, access to science and, <laughs> and data and things like, oh, all this is, is people also it's, don't realize like the scientific revolution is not that long ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, exactly. We have not had science in the form that we have it in that, for that long. Um, yeah. And already we're congratulating ourselves on how much we know. <laughs> yeah. exactly Oftentimes yeah, I tell people, yeah. I'm like, you know, most of the world is water and we don't know almost anything about the ocean um, right. com- compared to like how big, it, how vast it is and what's out there. And if I'm going to just assume they're like religious texts, uh, I mean, there's a lot of theories about who they were written by, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the versions of the books that we have now were written by human beings who are trying to pass on a story. Yeah. So if nothing else, there is a great reflection about who people are and who we are or who we were in those texts. Right. No, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, It's I part think... of why people are, are fascinated by studying ancient civilizations. Anything that exists now will one day be an ancient, a part of an ancient civilization. And uh, if you're fascinated in those things from before, uh, let me tell you, there's a lot to find out about those things right now as they're still happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's good. That's good. I appreciate that. We've spent almost the whole time talking about like you and your religious background and not, not really any time talking about your, uh, your work in the games. Uh, I did a little of this. I did uh, all that. <laughs> yeah, we did a little, a little of both. So, but I do want to like, um, I almost always ask this question at the outset, but how would you frame to our listeners your work in the games industry? Because you've done a lot, you've done a lot of sound design and you've composed uh, a lot of music for games. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we talked about your work in game jams. Um, you're also a stand-up comedian, That's I believe. I also- um, and uh, so, so yeah, how do you how do you introduce yourself in the work that you do? When people ask, um, I either mention the thing that's most relevant to the given context, or I say something extremely broad, like, "Oh, I'm a freelancer for media." Um, but in sure. games, like I said, I travel anytime, anywhere from one to four times a month. I do a lot 
of educational and motivational speaking. I talk about all kinds of concepts. I think some of my most well-known or, or the most given talks, uh, the most recent uh, that's going over pretty well is a new talk I give about romance in games. And it's also part of why people have been more interested in me as a games writer. Um, so I think the biggest title that I've worked on is Dandara, which was, uh, some people say that if it, it was a little overshadowed by Celeste when Celeste came out. Um, oh, right. Sure. In, in both being kind of like pixel arty platformer games that came around the same time, and Celeste was very successful. Dandara was a really incredible game. It was also uh, very well received. I occasionally find it on some best of lists, like beneath like yeah. Assassin's Creed Odyssey and, you know, like, and stuff like that. And I just can't even <laughs> believe that like this game I worked on is up there with the names of like other great games my friends have made. So, um, uh, but anyway, yeah. like, yeah, I remember, I remember, I believe, was it in the IGF? Uh, no, I wasn't, but that would have been super cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to remember, I remember, um, several of my, you know, game critic friends talking about how, um, just how great it was and how interesting the, it was. Conceptually. We're, we're dropping so. a DLC this year that I think is going to be the way the game was really meant to be played. So anybody who liked it would oh, like cool. it 10 times more if they played the upcoming version. Um, I'll be yeah, honest, yeah. we haven't been, and maybe, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but here I go! Um, basically, the game was shipped before it was done. And just to yeah. meet Raw Fury's deadlines, etc., etc., a lot of, the, it, we shipped an incomplete game and the upcoming version is going to add so much more life to the world that it takes place in and the real ending. So um, yeah. it's like a, this upcoming DLC is like is going to be like a major change to the vanilla version of the game, as well as adding like completely new areas. Yeah. And your role with Dandara writing. was writer? writer? Okay. So I... Uh, and, then, and that's kind of new for you? Have you done... Have you written... I have done... So writing for me actually started with escape rooms where I got, I was designing and I was writing the stories for escapes. I was hired to do an escape. It was an escape like experience where um, it needed to take place in multiple locations with multiple actors. So I was writing all kinds of characters and uh, designing. Yeah, it was really cool. It was so exciting to see people practice it too, to like, see what I wrote come to life. Um, people putting uh, yeah. on costumes to be the characters that I created, you know, things like that. So escape rooms was how I desi- I started with designing and uh, writing. And so people in games believed that I must be able to let it transfer. And I and I guess I sold myself well because I, I uh, Dandara was the first uh, big writing gig I had. And uh, I convinced them to let me hire one of my best friends um, to help finish the DLC. So now there's two of us uh, working on it. Uh, but um, that Dundara was my first big writing gig. Um, I've had some other people ask, uh, getting in touch with me, seeing if I'm interested in doing some other writing work. So I'm really excited that that's like kind of taking off. And part of why I was even mentioning that was just because I was giving some talks. Uh, well, I gave a talk that sometimes falls into like the writing category of uh, you know talks that are being given at certain events. And then I get invited to like writers panels now, which is really, which is funny to me because I always cool. thought of myself as a musician and a sound designer. Um, but then people yeah. really did start asking me to do some design of like puzzles and things because clearly I had a lot of experience with puzzles. Um, I gave some uh, d- uh, workshops and talks on how to design escape rooms, et cetera, et cetera, the different kinds of puzzles you can imagine in escape, what kinds of things you need to consider in a digital game versus a, a physical game. And, um, but yeah, um, I have, I mean, like I said, I, I did a ton in the jamming scene. Uh, last year, uh, I was awarded... Uh, Finland is one of the few uh, countries that has an organization exclusively for jamming. And uh, the Finnish yeah. Game Jam organization awarded me the Jamtivist, which is um, someone who not only jams a lot, but contributes uh, to the uh, community in a way that's very impactful. And since I travel all year round to game jams around the world and speak at them, and now that that became my reputation, um, a lot of people have recognized me and have a lot of really flattering things to say about my contributions to the jamming scene, which is really cool. So speaking is a big part of what I do in the game dev community. I do a lot of speaking, and it goes anywhere from 
diversity and representation to technical things about audio. Um, now I'm diving a little bit more into writing. So um, I was, I, like I said, I also did some about designing puzzles. Um, so how do I qualify to do it? Like we said, you do a lot at the beginning of the, of the show. <laughs> and so, and so what qualifies me to even be talking about those things? Um, like I said, I used to work at an escape room where I ran the rooms and I would act in character when the clients come. Like uh, I'd open the door and be like, are you the detectives? And they'd be like, we booked an escape room. And then I'd go, oh, and I'd wink at them. I'd go undercover, huh? You know? So like, so I was kind of like, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. So it was all like in okay, character. Yeah. It was all about the story, which I really liked. Man, that's what I want my uh, escape game experiences to oh, be Oh, like. so, that company was all about that. And we partnered up with um, yeah. 20th Century Fox and the uh, Finnish Railroad Company to do an escape on the from the Murder, uh, uh, murder on the Orient Express escape right. that took place on an actual moving train. And it was, yeah, it was, it was wild. And to, to, to be a part of that was, was it was how much How much did it cost to like book that experience you couldn't book that experience it was a one-time only live stream thing and the train went from uh, from helsinki all the way to um rovaniemi which so i know that everybody believes that in like people who practice who believe uh, who celebrate uh christmas you know everybody's like yeah santa claus is gonna come but in finland we believe that finland is where santa is originally from and that he lives uh, in northern okay. Finland, and then he just goes around the world. And uh, gotcha. and Santa's village is in a place called Rovaniemi in like Lapland. And so there was a train that went from Helsinki to Rovaniemi, and you had to apply to be on the train. And they had like celebrity captains, and it was live streamed, and people could watch it from all over. Mm-hmm. The official like Agatha Christie uh, Facebook page was talking about it, and there were articles everywhere, all this kinds of stuff. You're describing my dream game experience. Basically, it was it was really <laughs> cool, and there are some videos with like small like now that it's already happened. There's like a trailer esque sort of recap, so you could like look it up and and uh, see oh, wow. me uh, trying to look like a train conductor, like. <laughs> I'll have to get you. Yeah, I'll have to get you to send me the link. We'll put it in the show notes. That'd yeah, for sure. I so I did that, and that's how I had the, all this experience designing and writing. And uh, also in my personal life, I am just a huge fan of like tabletop games. And uh, I, oh, cool! What's your what's your jam tabletop? So here voice? we go. Um, I'm actually making a board game right now. Uh, but my real oh, my real cool. thing is uh like RPs, like just role playing, and. Uh, Part of why I like it so much is because I have a lot of really, really big ideas um, for escape-like experiences that would require either a huge huge team and or a huge budget. Um, And I have people who are interested to make those dreams come true with me, but the thing is that it would just require me to drop so many other things that I haven't gotten around to it. Um, And consequently, I end up putting all of the... like all my steam on that front into just the games I play with my friends. And so um, I love to make role-playing with me. Like I'm proud of the fact that I'm a very like unconventional, immersive role-playing experience. And that I do things that other people are like, I have never heard of a GM who does stuff like that. I have a lighting set up. I have a sound set up. There are audio cues. There's a soundtrack to the world. Um, and yeah, I've done cool. a lot of like things in the in the name of um, in the name of immersion, and I'm really into games that kind of go up and beyond. And sometimes I, I and so I love when sometimes video games do very clever things. Super hot. Um, there's a scene in Super Hot where you see yourself wearing. Yeah, yeah, wearing a VR headset, and I kept thinking, "Super hot is in VR." Could you imagine what that moment was like if you were actually sitting down with a VR headset? <laughs> so, right, and yeah. super hot also makes you quit the game at one point, and then when you open it up again, it's just like yeah. you told me you wouldn't open the game up again. You know, I was super impressed. I was very impressed with things like that. Well, we're almost out of time here. I told you about an hour. We're over an hour now. Um, I do want to ask you, like, kind of a one last question, and that's uh, how did you get into stand-up comedy? Oh, um, by the way, uh, so how that even bleeds into games? I host the first and only live game dev stand-up comedy series. It's called uh, Funny. It's called oh, Funny oh. Equals True. 
And I'm yeah. hoping to start bringing it to more events and then start to have some more uh, recordings of it so that other people who weren't bailed, are, who weren't there could get in, get in on it. And it's funny, I do so many things that I've found so many people recognize me for something else. Like some people go, oh, Ellie, the one who jams a lot, right? Or, oh, Ellie, the, the stand-up comedian, right? You know, like that could, all these, all yeah. these different kinds of stuff. And so comedy yeah. was something that I just had always wanted to try. And at my first show, I got really lucky that people who book shows really liked my performance and were immediately after that gig said they were interested in having me at other shows. So after my first show, which I managed to get only because I name dropped someone, <laughs> like my, um, someone who uh, who works with the comedians was like, go to this person and mention my name. And I did exactly that. And it worked. And they even kind of, jo- the other person even joked about it. They were like joking about how I, how they, how I did, how I said the secret word and it worked. And uh, then uh, they saw the show and they liked it and immediately gave me longer sets at other shows. And uh, some of my sets were going really well. And I think some people in the scene maybe saw me as being up and coming. And uh, I was trying to also do a very unconventional thing with my comedy as well. Are you familiar by any chance with the comedian Bo Burnham? Yes. Yeah. He made uh, eighth grade, right? He, I, I think, I think he did. I haven't, I haven't actually seen it. Um, but uh, that is an interesting film, by the way. It's worth, definitely worth. I think that like, was him. I just haven't shot. seen it, but I know that his whole, he started off by doing like YouTube videos and stuff like that. Now he has yeah, 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 now he yeah, has a couple totally. of specials on Netflix. His most recent one, Make Happy, uh-huh. showed me that the thing I was doing, trying to do in comedy, clearly had an audience. And it, I felt like he yeah. gave me the go-ahead. And I've now taken my, my stand-up uh, in a much more Bo Burnham direction. And he's a, clearly a very talented musician. And even though I'm also a musician, I'm not doing like the songs kind of thing the same way he is. But there's yeah. like a a theatricness like a, it's very like my comedy is very theatrical in a way that his comedy helped me show clearly had an audience and that I should just go for it so i've done i've That's done cool. a lot of shows with audio cues with music with uh, projectors um with light changes i had i did a show once that had a costume change on stage uh so a lot of props even so all kinds of stuff that uh people don't normally expect from stand-up i remember um when <laughs> this is stupid i don't even know why i'm sharing it but i already started i remember when that show the last comic standing first came out mm-hmm. i was like oh i could do that <laughs> and i wrote some jokes in a notebook i could probably dig that notebook up somewhere because uh, i was like had this inspiration that i wanted to try my hand at it um, I'm sure they were terrible. My first joke uh, was the worst but, too. I'm so glad I never. <laughs> but I feel like um, I really just admire anyone who's willing to stand up in front of other people and try to make them laugh. Like I just, it feels like I know I wrote those jokes, but it feels kind of terrifying to me the prospect of it. So it's, it's um, so I, just, I applaud you. Not easy. Uh, people don't realize yeah. what it is actually like to write comedy. Like when you're standing on a stage and everybody's like waiting to laugh essentially, you know, and also how hard it yeah. is to tell those same jokes when the context isn't really there. Um, I realized like mm. I would rather have a microphone than not, even if I was just sitting in a small room with an audience of five people, you know, you need things yeah, yeah. that make it seem like it's a performance. Mm. Yeah. 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 Delivery is, hugely important too i think you know and like you can be a great writer and have lots of great ideas but if you don't uh, if you can't pull those off in front of the live audience you're kind of yeah. sad too but you Timing seem like you seem like yeah you seem like you um you love to to talk to to people and to to give talks so maybe that helps a little bit oh, but, for that transition as you can too. tell i'm a very talkative uh and uh we're quite rambly person and I think, and I've had a, I've been performing since I was, I think the first time I ever had a show with a band was when I was 13, 12, maybe. And, uh, I was the vocalist. So I was on the front of the stage and, uh, I've been performing yeah. lots of different kind of music ever since then. So being on stage, I wasn't nervous at all. And, uh, giving talks, very similar thing. It felt very familiar. And, uh, that's something I also do in games, by the way. I'm also like, I was just at GDC, I would performed at one of the after parties. Um, so I do, uh, and I'm hoping to bring the comedy show to GDC as well. Um, so, uh, neat, funny, funny, yeah, I'm hoping to make that a thing. 
but I do some of the re- one of the reasons why I get flown around the world is to perform. I did uh, comedy at a game event in Sweden. Did comedy at a game event in Australia. I do comedy and game events in in in, um, in Germany. But sometimes I've also been asked. Uh, to come DJ, for example, and then I, you know, play music that yeah. samples game music, or, and then you know that kind of stuff. Um, and some, yeah, and those, these are the ways sometimes, somehow, uh, sometimes that people, how people find me, and that was how I ended up getting all these gigs as a musician in games, even though nobody knew who I was. I just kept jamming and DJing, and and it clicked with some people. And then when I finally had some game gigs, I had something to show. And uh, I was trying so hard to break it into game development that. Um, that uh, I said yes to a lot of projects, and now this year, multiple projects are going to come out. Yeah, it's quite That's exciting. Awesome. I have, a, I have a, a lot of games that I've worked on that are going to be coming out like within the next year. Cool. Well, uh, we're about out of time here, so um, real quick, like, where can people follow that work? that's going to be coming out working people what's the best way for people to kind of track the work that you're putting out if you're interested in keeping tabs with me i'm quite active on twitter at ellie abraham 64 and ellie is spelled e-l-i-e and uh, ellieabraham.com is where um i have put some of my work like if you go there you can see some of the work i've done with queer activism some of the uh, some of the modeling I've done, because uh, uh, I also do modeling, as a, a people are interested in uh, someone who will, someone like me who will wear a lot of makeup. <laughs> and because yeah, because you clearly need another. Yeah, know, right. So I do. That's the thing. I do. I do a, a, like a lot of speaking, and not just in game events. Uh, like I said, I did my uh, first yeah. uh, TEDx talk last year. I also speak at schools. I speak at museums. So um, some of all of those yeah. things that I, there's like a. I talk about a little bit about all of those things uh, on my website, uh, ellieabraham.com, and I try cool. to keep it relatively updated. I'm not so great at it, but um, you know, you know how it is to yeah. update a portfolio. So, like, um, yeah, I would say ellieabraham.com or my uh, a lot of my comedy goes straight to my Facebook page. I have a Facebook page as a comedian, which is. Uh, I think it's like Facebook slash user slash Ellie Abraham forever. <laughs> um, <Okay>. <laughs> if you also just type in my name into YouTube, some of my talks come up, some of my stand up comes up. We'll definitely encourage our listeners to go check all all that out. Go follow uh, Ellie on Twitter and and follow yeah follow everything you're doing. Um, if you want to follow Love Thy Nerd, just search for Love Thy Nerd on all the social medias. It should come up. You can follow us or like us. On Facebook, you'll want to like Love Thy Nerd, and then you'll also want to uh, check out the Love Thy Nerd community. If you want to nerd out about nerd things with other nerds, Love Thy Nerd community is a great place to do that. Uh, Also, we have a whole podcast network. So this is one of three podcasts that Love Thy Nerd puts out. We also have Free Play, which gets into all areas of nerd culture, and it's just super fun to listen to. And then we also have The Pull List, which is our new-ish comic book podcast. And... um, yeah, I think that's kind of basically it. If you would, if you're listening to this, go rate and review our podcast on iTunes. Uh, it helps a lot for people to to hear about the show. And also just spread the word. If you like what we're doing here, um, tell somebody on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Friendster or <laughs> MySpace, <laughs> uh, wherever you are online. page. Yeah, GeoCities, that's right. Um, I'm going to write about this on my Zanga. Yeah, on your, tell, tell people about us on Blogster. Um, Live journal, dead uh, journal, we'll be there. <laughs> that's right, put it in your time capsule. Um, yeah. um, no, thanks, Ellie. This was, this was really fun. I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, I feel like fun. we only scratched the surface of things that I wanted to talk to you about, so we may have to have you on again so that we can uh, dig even deeper. So, um, Thank you very much, and uh, that's it for us here with Games Again.